Thank you for joining us, uh, Louis and Chris are our longest serving missionaries and uh, they've been in Japan for quite a while now. We'll be having them to share a bit about their ministries and um, how they ended up as missionaries in Japan. So uh, hi Louis and Chris, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your families? Yes, I'm Luis here, and uh, here is Chris, and we have uh, two sons, uh, both grown-up children, uh, working, one working in the UK as well as studying, it, uh, working in the church as well as studying, and the other one is in uh, Tokyo, uh, studying in Tokyo University, and living with us at this time. And uh, yeah, we have been in Japan since uh, 1992, so that will be around 28 years and above, and uh, we have been, we are sent out as uh, uh, by Woodland CFC uh, with OMM as missionaries uh, doing church planting now uh, for me I'm doing uh, I'm a church house what is that church planting facilitator and Chris is a counselor okay what do you see as some of the biggest needs in Japan As you can see, uh, I think uh, the aging population has uh, affected a lot of uh, Japanese churches too. So in terms of uh, spiritual needs, you'll find many Japanese are not being reached and uh, it's come to a point whereby it is less than 1% of Christians there. And uh, in fact, it's only 0.44 Christian, uh, evangelical Christians there. So in terms of spiritual needs, uh, many Japanese do not know Jesus Christ. And that is something that uh, our hearts are burdened uh, to reach the, the Japanese. And in terms of uh, the church, you'll find aging, aging pastors, and uh, it's 89% of the Japanese pastors are aged from age 15 years old and above. So it is a huge problem if you think of in the future, whereby there won't be enough pastors or young pastors to replace uh, the pastors to feed the flock. Yeah, I think even as Louis mentioned about the aging population, so you can imagine that in most churches, you, you will see that there are very few young people and most churches, I think they do not even know how to reach out to the young people. And because it's, most of the churches are pretty small and traditional, um, it is in a sense not attractive to the young ones as well. So there is really a lack of uh, young ones, a lack of reaching out to the young ones. And, uh, I think also because in, uh, in churches in Japan, you find that you have the older ones and then you have got some of the uh, uh, parents or families, maybe young children if they have. So you may have a church with young children, like let's say uh, attending Sunday school when you're in primary school, but once they reach uh, uh, secondary school or high school, you find them disappearing from the church because of the school activities and very often you have school activities on weekends as well. So that is the age group from secondary school onwards up to pre-U level. Our pre-U level, you find that really missing in the church. And then if you have uh, churches who do some outreach to university students, then maybe you may have some uh, young adults, those who are in universities, uh, joining the church. So that is the whole gap, you know, that age range missing in the church. Okay, um, how about 
within your own ministry work, how do you see your ministry and the needs of Japan? How do you think they kind of relate and how are you um, working to, I guess, plug some of the holes or, uh, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a big question because uh, we come to the point whereby we can play a role in uh, facilitating the churches in Japan, uh, more or less uh, giving the, uh, training uh, to the Japanese churches. So my role as a church planting facilitator, I will gather a group of uh, people uh, who are doing church planting, uh, especially in DMM, disciple-making movements, uh, whereby we help missionaries, pastors, and local Japanese Christians to start uh, uh, simple churches whereby they can uh, reach their, their own oil course or people group within their locality and disciples and, and, and start groups all over. My, my, my goal is to really get the lay people really to, 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 to take the work of evangelism and discipleship and even church planting, uh, not just for the clergy, but to stir up um, um, people in Japan to do that work. And so that's where uh, my role is now, basically to network with many Japanese pastors, and uh, especially with this Love Japan uh, project from Singapore coming in, uh, I could play a role uh, in mobilizing the Japanese churches with pastors who have been trained now. They have been trained in uh, DMM, uh, Train and Multiply, and that's where I think the, 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 the fervor of the Japanese wanting to do something now and we can we can plug in with the, the, the passionate passion of Singaporean churches coming to say I want to help I want to sow the seeds for you and to help you and so I think this is one thing that uh, I can we can play this role now and we have seen this happening in the last few months uh, once it's uh, coming in uh, with pastors in Japan and Singapore coming together and saying yes let's work together for the sake of the kingdom of God in Japan. Yeah, and I think, uh, in a sense, we as senior missionaries, we also play the role of uh, helping the younger ones, the younger missionaries, as well to uh, encourage them and to help them to succeed where they are. I mean, in addition, in addition to helping uh, Louis in various uh, 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 training areas, I'm also doing a counseling for missionaries. So my role is really to uh, help the missionaries here uh, not just OLF missionaries, but all other agencies as well as anyone who needs help. When, um, so I, I do meet them on a, a, a regular basis as and when there is a need to really help them and encourage them to see them through the um, struggles of the uh, life as a missionary as well as in relational conflicts and so on. So I think uh, missionaries do uh, play a part in Japan as well. In, in a sense, when you look at the churches, um, missionaries can come in to, to really help in evangelism, you know, in training the people, the Japanese. So in a sense, I think we're at this stage in our life where we want to see, uh, we of course we want to train the Japanese as well, but we also want to train and encourage missionaries who are here to succeed and, and help them to move on so that they can serve, carry on the work uh, in serving in Japan and reaching out to the Japanese. Okay. Um... In your ministries over the years, I guess you've had many, uh, I guess, moments where you realized it was a, you know, it's a good thing you're there. Can you share maybe with us one or two of these uh, significant moments you felt that you, you, you know, I mean, you could really see God moving or you felt really glad that you're helping out somewhere? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think in the, 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 the early 2000, when we realized that uh, we need to get out to the people more, and that's where we focus on the young people. And that was a moment where we got ourselves really out on the streets. We changed, we changed directions in terms of ministry and got out of the four walls of the church and really bringing the church to the people in the sense uh, touching the young people, whether street musicians, uh, the, the, the street, street dancers, and university students, and, and that's where I think uh, even you, uh, Daniel, came down to help, and others who have come, came down to, to do one or two years with us to reach out to the young people. And that's where I think you begin to see more of uh, the needs of the people. You realize that the young people, uh, the millennials at that time, they were basically uh, detached from their parents and uh, detached from society and needing help. And that's where I think that was a significant area where we plug in. And along with that, I think uh, the other work ministry is the homeless ministry, whereby we started eight years ago. And that is quite an interesting ministry whereby we, we were there every Thursday night uh, feeding the people with, uh, food, with food as well as the word of God and clothing and all those things and all sorts. And, we, and there's a team came together and even when we were away from Japan for a number of years, uh, the ministry carried on. So it was really wonderful and, and the ministry carries on now, uh, even now, when we feed uh, 850 people. So just to see uh, God using us in terms of uh, uh, stirring a movement for the young people, for the homeless people, as well as now church planting uh, in terms of DMM has been a wonderful blessing for us. Yeah. yeah, even as we look back, I think Louis mentioned that in early 2000, when I think at that point, there was a time when we had we felt a sense of restlessness, wondering whether um, is our ministry just going to be confined within the four walls of the church because we were pastoring a Japanese church mm -hmm. then. And at one point, I think we thought that maybe we should be going back to Singapore and, and finish our ministry here, but then the Lord changed our direction and spoke to us and gave us new excitement mm -hmm. in coming back to Japan to reach out to the young people. And I'm so glad that we, in a sense, obeyed that, that calling, you know, and instead of just going back. Because as we look back now, as we look at the uh, fruits of the ministry and see how the young people that we have mentored and how we have, uh, in a sense, discipled them, they are all, in a sense, university, university students then, and they are Mostly, most of them are married now and with children and they are still walking with the Lord and there are even some who have gone up to Tohoku to serve Him. So uh, it's just great that it's something that is most rewarding to see them carrying on firmly in walking with the Lord and establishing mm. Christian homes and families. Okay, thank you. Um, you mentioned that, I mean, in the early 2000s, you mentioned this uh, new calling, right? But can you tell us maybe a bit about your original calling? How did you how did you guys end up in Japan? Well, uh, as many of you would have known, uh, uh, Edward Chow and I, we were on the, on the ship to Laos when we were in the 20s. I think we were, we were 22 years old when we went to, to serve the Lord on, on board the ship to Laos. Uh, we were in South America sailing. So upon returning back, and that was a calling where God gave to me in terms of becoming a missionary. Uh, while well, I was on the two laws, so when we, I came back, it was a very firm call and I went to Bible College, in, at Singapore Bible College, and trained to, to go out to the field again. So that was a very clear calling and in, in the years at SBC, 
and in, and in uh, former Bukit Timah, I would, uh, Bukit Timah EFC. That's where I got to meet uh, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. For me, I, I think I, I started attending uh, BTFC then uh, when I was uh, in pre-university. And then I, I remember that in those days, uh, we had Mission Sunday in church. I think once a month or once in two months got there. And then they will often, the church will often invite uh, missionaries to come and share about their experiences and so on. And you know, at the end of this sharing, there will be like a, a so-called altar call kind of thing where we'll be asked whether anybody who are interested, anybody who is interested in missions, you know, either you raise your hands or you fill up a piece of paper or whatever. But you know, each time when it came to that, I always felt a kind of something stirring in me in my heart, you know, kind of thing. But uh, I've never, uh, as, as far as I remember, I've never raised my hands or put put my name down or anything because I felt that um, how could I go, you know, on my own? You know, I, I mean, I, I felt so inadequate and I. I that I felt that I, I can't do it on my own. So, but then I was thinking, well, if, if there's somebody whom I could go along with, then maybe, you know, it is possible. There was, it was just a thought, you know, but then I, I guess the Lord uh, heard me loud and clear. That's, that's when, when Louis came and then um, uh, when we got to know each other and he was very forthright in sharing about his calling into missions when he was on Dulos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, Chris was then, uh, yeah, getting into teaching and she was a teacher Junior College in Singapore, and so that time when we were deciding where to go, a uh, couple from a, a Singaporean couple who work in Japan, uh, the Sitos came and shared with us the, the need of Japan. And that was the time where we really felt, uh, yeah, maybe this is one, this is one place that we can go. And so when we joined OMF to be missionaries with, uh, to Japan, it was when we arrived there. That was the first time we were there. You know, we never had a short-term team, short-term experience, but just step into it with a little baby of three months old, and that's where we started the missionary uh, calling, uh, missionary job, work in Japan. Yeah, I think the, the the main thing at that time was really the need, because uh, Japan there was really a need, and there were so few mm-hmm. uh, Christians, and so we felt okay, this is an, an area that uh, of great need, and we are just willing to go if that's where the Lord wants us to go. Okay, so you've been, I guess, working as a missionary couple since uh, the start la, of your missions work. So um, how has it been working together on the mission field? As a couple? Yeah, as, a, as kind of as a couple, or I mean, I guess some of your, I mean, maybe not all your work is, you know, together, but I'm sure enough of it overlaps that there's uh, experience. So how has it been like working together? Yeah, I think uh, we complement each other. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a midnight worker, not midnight worker in the sense of last minute. And she would be the third one that prepares Ray right ahead. So she would encourage me to get things moving. And uh, so I think she got used to my style. And, uh, she used to a style in terms of uh, uh, and uh, I would still, uh, uh, yeah, uh, working through in terms of uh, reparations uh, a little faster earlier uh, than before. So yeah, I think uh, it helps because, in a sense, that because we are we joined OMF, so um, uh, OMF is an agency where uh, which accepts each one of us individually on our own merit. It is not just like Louis is a husband and I'm the wife holding a husband on ministry. 
So, so we have that from the very beginning, that's a premise. So, so that means that for both of us have, have to, to learn, the uh, learn the language, both of us have to play in a sense an equal, you know, as much a role as we can and not feel as if like everything is focused on a husband and the wife is just today home to take care of a child and so on. Because when we first went there, our first son, Justin, was just three months old. So in a sense, because of that, and uh, we, we, we knew about that, and Louise has been very supportive and understanding. So we actually, he wants me to be as much in the ministry as I can. And, and, and as a result of that, we really uh, do everything together, uh, taking terms. So when we first went to Japan, it was language learning. So um, when he's learning the language, I'll be with Justin, the baby. And then when I'm learning the language, then he will be taking care of the baby. And then even in church too, you know, I remember, uh, of course, if he's preaching, he's preaching, I would be with a child. And then when I was doing some um, children's ministry, you know, and then he would be taking care of uh, the baby. So, so we actually uh, take turns and make sure that both of us have got uh, enough exposure and opportunities to do the work as and when there is a need. Okay, um, now it's uh, a bit a bit of a, I guess, the harder side of missionary life, but what are some of the challenges that you faced while on the field? I mean, I know you face challenges, you know, trying to convert people or meet people to talk to them, but I mean, like, for yourselves, what do you find really, really challenging when you're on the field? There's no doubt that the Japanese culture is very different uh, from Singapore. Uh, they, they, you know, in terms of being able to understand the Japanese culture, it's one of the key challenge uh, for us uh, because it's so easy to be, you know, uh, in it, and yet you think that you are in it, but actually you are not in amongst the Japanese. So, so just being able to overcome the fear of uh, not being in amongst the Japanese will help, help us a lot. Just being able to be friends with them, to really build relationships in, in, in the sense of trust is there. So that uh, even now, like uh, I, I, I have a local church in Japan and they will allow me to teach and preach almost all the time. You know, say if, if every time I'm in town, they will ask me to do uh, opening day, opening uh, the, the pulpit for me to do the work. So I think uh, ministry-wise, there's always uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough and yet uh, not impossible to do it. It's just uh, perseverance is needed to really work through all the things and not give up. I think it's easy to give up because you will find yourself hitting the barriers and all those things. But I think uh, God has given us grace and mercy in the sense to be able to carry on working and building friendships and relationships with leaders and to be able to carry on and moving in. I'm not sure about in terms yeah. of case for this yeah. family. Uh, yeah, I think um, we mentioned, Louise mentioned about culture. I think uh, sometimes we do find uh, it's really tough in terms of uh, Japanese culture. It's sometimes we can work against uh, the, the Japanese coming to Christ because it's like you could have them um, let's say students, you know, they, they come to believe and then after that, and when they go back home to their family, you know, the, the cultural aspect is so strong. There are so many obligations that they, 
they face and their expectations as whether sons or daughters, as Japanese. So, uh, and very often, those are the things in the culture that may pull them back and, and make them maybe give up halfway in a phase or feel that they feel that they cannot uh, embrace uh, Christianity fully. Um, so, we, we do have that in terms of that. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I think we have that. And I, I think it's just even uh, things like whether participation in uh, festivals, anything to do with Shintoism. It's not that they are very religious or anything, but because they see it as part of culture. So it's, it's very difficult when you don't see a clear uh, boundary or you know, cut off point where this is religious and this is culture. But no, but for Japanese, it's like, uh, it's together. So it makes it more difficult. So they see themselves as uh, giving up the, uh, being Japanese if they become Christians in a sense. So that is sometimes can be frustrating for us. That could, can be a challenge in how we can help them to see that you do not need to uh, give up your or being Japanese just because you become a Christian. And then maybe other challenges it could be. I think for 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 us, for me, I guess in the initial yeah, few years, the very early years, uh, homesickness. I mean, in terms of uh, really missing all the uh, family gatherings and so on, because for me, I'm, I grew up in an extended family, very close with my extended family, with cousins and so on. So um, it is during um, festivals, you know, like you miss it most, like Chinese New Year or birthday celebration and family gatherings that we have, and when um, we are like so far away without being able to be back. Um, in fact, I think when the kids, our kids were young, we were never back at all during Chinese New Year. In their whole life up to now, I think they've mm -hmm. celebrated Chinese New Year maybe less, no more than five times, probably, because the school school system doesn't allow that. There's no holiday during that period. So, so yeah, in terms of missing family, missing friends, um, gathering with friends and so on. The other challenge I think is uh, can be children. Of uh, say Robin, in a home where two of us are in, in ministry, so sometimes uh, for them uh, to really finding roots in a place, uh, it's very late. They don't find deep roots because we move a lot. You know, we do ministries to move a lot. So, so at one time we realized that, and we we asked them to go and look up for their their own church. A church where I think and uh, call them themselves uh, a, a home church with their friends and all those things. So, so it took them a few years uh, to to look out for one, and in, in the end, I think they, they did find a church whereby they can at least uh, attend and have friends there. So those are the challenges sometimes as a missionary family. You know, you move a lot, and uh, rootlessness is a part of the problems uh, we face. And also, I guess for children too, for um, in a sense, because they grew up in Japan and uh, they don't, I mean, they didn't have an extended stay in Singapore. So uh, it can be a bit difficult in a sense for us to know that our kids will, will never find Singapore as a, a, a home in a sense of getting used because they, they don't share the kind of same experiences and memories that we, we have as children growing up in Singapore with those memories and experiences, but they don't have those. So they don't see it that way, they don't feel it. So even coming back to Singapore, sometimes it's very hard for them, especially when they do not have friends 
because they don't live here, they don't study here, they don't grow up here. So it is, yeah, it can be quite uh, tough to know that each time when they come back, they don't really have friends that they can hang out with and talk to and so on. Okay, thank you for sharing the, some of the difficulties that uh, missions families face. Uh, I'm guessing there are some people in church who might be interested in missions and maybe that's a good way to uh, remind them of the fact that, you know, it's not just smooth sailing. Uh, but let's say someone's interested, how, what would you tell them? What, how would you uh, encourage them to like, uh, study up on it and, or how to discern God's voice on this matter? Yeah, there are various ways I think that, that can prepare somebody to, to go to the field in the years to come. I think you have to keep, one is to keep the fire burning. I think it's so easy to be imagined in Singapore's lifestyle wherever, uh, you know, things are good or whatever, that uh, you forget about uh, what, you, what you wanted to, to do in the first place, that even to go to the field. I think one, the other thing is to, to keep the fire burning is to really have a lifestyle where you can learn how to share the gospel, share your testimony, have a Shima lifestyle in terms of uh, proclaiming Christ, you know, in your life, in your everyday life. So that is part of uh, keeping uh, a passion uh, uh, going. Uh, the other thing is, I think you have to really get perhaps a mentor whereby somebody who is a missionary or have been to the field and just being able to uh, walk, walk with that person. Uh, so that at least uh, there's uh, some guidance and, uh, in terms of uh, preparations. And uh, if possible, yeah, join ACTI, uh, Asian Cross-Cultural Training Institute. Uh, we are going to start uh, next year, uh, 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 weekend, uh, on Saturdays, uh, modules on just uh, two hours on Saturdays. So that at least to prepare uh, those millennials and generation Zag people uh, to go to the field in the years to come. Uh, no obligations in that, but just being able to get into courses whereby you learn about business as missions or learning about uh, uh, intercultural living and spiritual spiritual uh, living and all those things whereby it helps you. Uh, this as these courses will help you uh, to move along. So one day uh, you know when you get in, you know what you are jumping into, and not in a sense of blind faith. So those are things that I would say would encourage uh, those who. Yeah, I think all these are, uh, are very important uh, and I think that probably the uh, very basic thing will be really uh, obedience and willingness um, to, to, to follow the, the call because I think God calls each one of us to be a witness for him. Of course, some to stay at home, some to go overseas and really it's a willingness whether how willing we are to take a step of faith. Uh, to move out and once you've decided that that is the way then uh, the rest will follow in terms of what Luis is mentioning uh, getting ready, find out more, read out more and if, if a person knows which country it is that God is leading into then try to find out as much as you can get connected with uh, workers already there and if you can even start learning a language you can and, you know all these things will help uh, uh, in preparing this person yeah. yeah, especially for those who are thinking of going to Japan, there's a Love Japan project now going on. I think Woodlands EFC is involved in and I'm hoping to send teams, uh, more teams over. And that's where I think you can plug into that kind of uh, project whereby you're preparing yourself to go. And then I think, of course, if, I mean, if from coming from a church, it would be great if you can share with uh, 
patients passes of the elders and the leaders with members with friends as soon as you can so that you can help uh, they can walk alongside you in terms of prayer support encouragement and so on so that you will not be a last minute thing and jump in and say hey, well, I'm ready to go to this country to mission and that's it and everybody gets a shot so I think there's a lot of preparation that's needed uh, not just for the church uh, leaders and members and cell group friends and so on but also the family as well I would say preparing your, your parents or, or your, your, your spouse or your other loved ones and not to jump in. I think as we look back, I'm glad in a sense that we did that um, giving, preparing our parents and um, way again telling them in different things in different ways, but at least so that it will not be a last minute thing that you jump in and expect everybody to be on board and you know, do that. So there's quite a bit of preparation that you need to do mm-hmm. so that others can walk along with you and pray with you. Okay, um, long-term missions might be a bit difficult for uh, many people, but for short-term, short-term teams, uh, how do you see them being able to help your ministry or the ministry in Japan? For I mean, for, for our church organizers short-term, how do you think uh, that could help? Yes, yes, I think short-term teams do play a, a significant part in, in, in missions work. Uh, never look down on it because... I think short-term teams can really sow the seeds of the gospel uh, and that's where we want to see short-term teams coming to Japan to be able to really go out to meet people and hopefully to meet a person of peace and that is something that uh, we are we are praying for a, short, uh, a Love Japan team to come uh, to be really to, to go out sit at Starbucks being able to sit as long as you can and talk to somebody and share the gospel the English is fine I think most university students will understand. So, uh, reaching out to a university students will be a very natural thing for many of the, the young people if they were to come for short-term teams. And uh, so, uh, finding the persons of peace. And uh, I think I remember uh, Daniel, Daniel's team, I think, yeah, they met one uh, guy called Yoshi and he came to the Lord through, uh, uh, what's that, coming to our house. And he, the first thing he said, I'm a Buddhist, I'm not going to believe in it, I'm just a Buddhist, I just want to join you. And a year later, he became a Christian and he got baptized and now he's following the law and leading many, uh, uh, leading even in, uh, reaching out work, work in prison and all those things. So those are things that I think you'll be surprised what a short-term team can do. Uh, in, in a sense, I think for short-term teams, sometimes there may be a higher expectations for them because their time on the field with the missionary is going to be very short. So it could be like, let's say, one month or even two weeks. So they come and then they, there's the expectation that when they come, uh, things need to be done just within that two weeks, let's say, for example, or one month. So there's a lot of expectation in that they, they, are, they should be able to uh, make friends or they should be able to be comfortable in talking to strangers or making contacts and so on. So I would say that even for the short-term teams or workers, uh, in a sense, preparation is still needed. Like what Louis mentioned, the general preparation in terms of like carry on with the Shima lifestyle, carrying on with serving in church back home, uh, carry on with the ministry. Because as uh, the more comfortable you are in doing those things, when you come over for short-term teams uh, trips, the easier it would be for for these uh, workers to go out and meet people and make mm-hmm. contacts. Because if 
they have not been doing that at yeah. home. When they come and it's just two weeks or one month, it's so short and they can't do that, it can be very frustrating for the work, the receiving end of missionaries because it's like your time is so short and the expectation is that you can help in these things, you know, but yet you can't do those things because you have not been exposed or you have not been trained or you have not been doing that back home. So it can uh, make it difficult and challenging. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, just one last question, I guess. Um, how can the church continue to support you from Singapore? Just want to say that Woodland CFC has been the, one of the most wonderful blessings that we can have in terms of support, uh, prayer support and encouragement, the financial support, the, the love given. So uh, if I can say, yeah, that's a lot that the church has given and we want to say thank you to everyone and especially to the leaders and pastors of the support. I think uh, there would always be you know things to do like uh, being able to pray and uh, I said I know sometimes it's so easy the singaporeans are so busy you know, uh, when we come back they're just wondering hey what have you been doing you know all because it, it sense that it, it seems like they have not been reading you know uh, the engage or whatever so to read the, the, the what's good, what they call uh, missionaries uh, write-ups in English and pray for them and uh, know what's going on and if you can write to us a uh, WhatsApp or Messenger uh, it's very encouraging to receive whatever things uh, uh, when we are in Japan and we will be able to we will reply so do give us encouragement uh, I think no matter what it's always needed for them yeah. I think we I also con are thankful for the concern shown for our families back in Singapore and your parents especially. Yeah. So we are thankful for uh, some church members who have been visiting, you know, uh, and so on, encouraging. And, and uh, yeah, I think if they had carried on doing that, it would be great yeah. I mean, for the missionaries. Yeah. Okay, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and thank you for being so frank with your answers. Uh, for anyone who's interested in going to Japan, please feel free to talk to Louis and Chris or to, uh, I guess, Pastor Ivan, or I mean, even myself, even though uh, I'm not very talkative. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for all this. Uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.